Hello, Space Watchers. I am Jim Murphy, and this is a new episode of Space Cafe Radio, your radio channel dedicated to emerging trends and live conferences in the space sector. Our fantastic guest today is Jeffrey Manber, president of International and Space Stations at Voyager Space, and previously the founder and CEO of NanoRacks. Voyager Space is a company focused on building the infrastructure of space for the future. Today, we are talking with Jeffrey about Voyager Space as a company and getting any advice he might have for someone interested in starting a company in the space sector. Enjoy. Jeffrey, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's great to be here, and I really love the topic, so I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Yeah, I know. We just talked about it. It's a dreary day outside, but hopefully we can bring some some brightness in our own worlds talking about space. That's right. That's right. I'm ready. All right. Wonderful. So, Voyager Space. What does Voyager Space do? Now, I know they're, they're investing and acquiring different capabilities and companies to help build the foundation of space for the future. Can you elaborate on that at all? And Yeah. Voyager Space was created three years ago by Dylan Taylor and Matt Kupta. And the idea was to capture a gap in the way the industry was growing. You had sort of stage one, you're in the wilderness, NASA was controlling everything. And a few pioneers, myself included, said, wait, we want to change the way we do business in space. We want NASA to be a customer. We want the government to be a customer. So we went ahead and created companies. We were shot down. We did well. We did this. We can talk about that a little bit later. But then you had all these companies, Planet. Fire, SpaceX, uh, NanoRacks, my company. You had all these companies developing. And Voyager saw that there was a need that as these entrepreneurs scaled up their company, they needed help going to the next level. And so what Voyager did was they, they, they're, they're, they and we are in the market now. I sold my company, NanoRacks, to Voyager, and we can get into that. Voyager is in the position where it's looking for good entrepreneurs that have a company that have proven themselves in the marketplace, that are cash flow positive, and yet they need help in scaling up even further. And that's what Voyager is about. So my title reflects that we're growing internationally, and my title reflects that we've also won the largest commercial space station contract from NASA, and boy, we're sure headed in that direction as well, and we can touch on that. So that's, that's I hope, is a long and little winding answer to your question. No, it's fantastic. I was going to touch on that, of course, that you were the CEO and the chairman of NanoRacks for over a decade. And I'm sure that you learned so much from that experience. And then, of course, bringing that into your new role at Voyager. Could you tell us a little bit about your experience at NanoRacks, maybe what you learned there? Yeah. So it's hard for younger people in the community today to understand that when we created NanoRacks in 2009, it was the first company in the world that owned and operated and marketed its own hardware on the International Space Station or in orbit. Going back, Nanorax was the first company that had private property on the International Space Station. I mean, how weird is that? Okay. And um, what, what I knew at the time was that this was not a normal community. It was not a normal industry where the government designed, developed, operated and regulated activities. 
Department of Defense doesn't design the jets, doesn't design the tanks. Department of Agriculture doesn't design the farms or the tractors. Okay, but NASA was designing, developing, operating, and regulating the space shuttle, uh, all the vehicles. It's wrong. And so I wanted to change that with nanoracks and make the point that the private sector in space can behave like every other market. And so it was very, very difficult in the beginning. In the beginning, there were screaming fights with with NASA, where NASA people would say, this is 12 years ago, why should we give a private company station resources that belongs to the public? Okay, why should we let nanoracks do this when we do this already? And I said to this one lady, again, this is 12 years ago, I said, um, we have FedEx and we have post office. Forgive me, but you are the post office and we're going to be FedEx. What's the, you know, you get the difference, customer service, efficiencies, investments. And, and it was a torturous learning curve for myself, for Nanorex, and for NASA. But we all learned together. And so NASA began to learn. Wait a second, the private sector can move quicker. You look at all the innovations going on in Earth observation and, and transportation. When I got in the industry, there was one way to get to space in this incredible nation, the space shuttle. Guess what? It wasn't so reliable. You really can't do business with the unreliability and fragility of the space shuttle. We unleashed the private sector. Today, you and I have no idea how many companies are in the launch vehicle business. Okay. And now we take more for granted. There'll be accidents, but we take for granted that you can get to and from space. That wasn't the case when NASA ran the space shuttle. And so lessons learned. Well, first off, I learned that uh, folks in the industry, whether the government or wherever, they're good people. They care about space. People at NASA buy and buy are space nuts as well. They, they, they have a dream. They want to do it. And over their years, 2011, 2012, 13, NASA began to realize, I see what Nanorax is trying to do. I see what Jeff's trying to, where he's going. And then they allowed other companies to come along. And then we got into the CubeSat deployment business. Why did we get into the CubeSat deployment business from the ISS? Because you couldn't do it in the United States at the time. People like Planet had to go to India and they had to go to Russia. And then Nanorax helped create. And everyone said, we helped create. We showed the data point for the CubeSat marketplace. And so NASA began to be a partner with us. So one thing I learned is that there's still a lot of education that needs to be done if you're an entrepreneur. Sometimes you have to educate your market. You have to educate your potential strategic partners. You have to educate your 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 cust- potential customers. Sometimes you can be ahead of the curve. And uh, sometimes it's great to be number three. Everyone's, oh, you got to be a market pioneer, you know, first to market. In our business, you end up in trouble like I've done considerably in my career. Sometimes it must be very nice and sleep at night when you're number two or three. Okay, but number one, we were number one and NASA learned. So one thing I'll say is sometimes you have to educate. Number two, choose your market carefully. Focus, laser focus on what your market is. One of the mistakes I made at Nanorax, one of our strengths today, I still remain chairman of the board, is... um. It's in half a dozen different markets. It's doing the CubeSat deployment. It's doing biopharma. It's doing, uh, uh, we have the Bishop Airlock, the largest commercial piece of hardware on the station. You can do research from there. You can deploy satellites from there. So we went in all sorts of different directions. If I could do it over again, say focus on one 
that I needed to do different markets to get the revenue in to grow, to live for another day. So it was quite a learning curve. Another thing that comes to mind quickly, not all money is equal. Revenue is different than investment, different types of investment. Not all investment is good. Every investment you are offered comes with strings and tomorrow always comes. And so you got to size up the investment opportunities really carefully. Do you like the, the investor? What kind of money is it? Is it short-term money? Is it long-term money? You know, a PE fund, hedge fund, they want results. They want quarterly results. Is it an angel who's going to go further? Is it an angel who wants to get into your business? You, you just don't take the money. You have to psychoanalyze the investor, the capital, the type of capital, and make sure it meshes to who you are and where you want to be in the coming years. I love it. No, that was great. You said it was tough to, to break into this industry. And then you talked about how maybe being second and third is okay because you can take a second. You're not, you don't have to figure out every single problem. You can kind of learn from someone right ahead of you, maybe figure it out. Can you give us an example of some of the problems that you faced and maybe some of the problems that Voyager is facing perhaps? Okay. So the whole premise of Nanoracks in the beginning was to design a small box which you could do research in, sophisticated research, miniaturization of technology. You could now have a small box, have a video camera in it, a circuit board. You could do quality research in a box. And then we would charge $50,000 to send this bo box to and from the International Space Station, maybe 100000 Sounds good to me. Oh, all these researchers coming in, they want to design their hardware custom each time to get 100% of what they wanted. So they would go to NASA and say, we want to design something that's going to cost 1 million and we can get these results. But if we go with that NanoRacks, the, the whole thing's going to cost us 250,000, but we won't get 100% of what we want. That struggle exists today. Okay, maybe you don't get all the results you want, but maybe the budget's far less. So we were in a constant struggle with the research community because they, they wanted to, the traditional way of building custom hardware. There's two major problems with custom hardware and space. One is the cost instead of using a standardized. The second is if it's custom, your peers, your colleagues don't know if you can repeat the results. So one of the problems we've always faced with research under the traditional NASA way was custom hardware means it's hard to reproduce the results. It's, um, it's long lead times and it's expensive. So one of the great challenges was getting folks to appreciate, which is finally slowly happening, that sometimes you don't go for the Christmas tree, put everything on it, and you just go for a solid project in a, in a year and uh, you get results. And the second thing was, it's okay to fail safely. Okay, you fail because you could refly with NanoRacks. You could go back up the next year. It doesn't take five, seven years as it used to at NASA. So it was that learning cur curve to behave on the National Laboratory in space the same way you would behave in a National Laboratory here on Earth. Voyager, Voyager's in a different position because we own six companies. They're in different markets, but where this is germane for Voyager is NanoRacks and Voyager were awarded the largest contract from NASA to develop a free flyer commercial space station, privately owned by us. And so 
our business model is a science park. We call it the George Washington Carver Science Park. And we just announced it's going to be set up in, sp- in space on the Star Lab Space Station and in Ohio. And that science park is taking all the lessons we learned in NanoRx, that it's not just about the hardware. It's also about the research, the pipeline. It's about getting researchers together, getting a pipeline far before your space stations in orbit. So I'm trying to take the lessons that we learned in NanoRx and apply them to what's really cool, our own space station, the Starlet. Yeah, that's. I think that's super interesting to see the evolution of the space sector. And I know people love the term new space. And they've been talking about no one can decide when it began or what's going on and how is a company that started in 2008 also new space? And how is that comparable to a company right now? There are all these types of debates and things, but so how would you say, how would you say that Voyager different, does does Voyager act as a enabler of the new space economy or is it a new space company itself or is it both? It's both. For me, the definitions are a lot less philosophically difficult than maybe some uh, over a couple of glasses of wine would profess for it to be. Look, if you're commercial, if you're mostly working on private capital, if you have skin in the game, if you fail and you lose money, you're commercial, whether you're a restaurant, okay, or whether you're a space company. Okay, so, so uh, you know, at Nanorax, we were completely commercial, funded uh, commercially. People would say I was a hypocrite because a lot of my customers were governments, but I wasn't and I'm not because they behaved as commercial customers. There's a difference, okay? When someone from NASA gets on a flight from Washington to Houston and takes Southwest, that's a commercial customer, okay? Southwest doesn't say, okay, this, and they may, they may pitch to them differently, but they're commercial. They're behaving commercially. So, so Voyager is our companies are by and by dominated that they live and die by customers who they have to perform. And if they don't perform, they don't get paid. There's exceptions, okay? We were funded $160 million by NASA to develop Starlab, the first initial, and that's a government contract. But trust me, $160 million is a tiny fraction of the amount of capital that we need. So Voyager is now in the public marketplace in the middle of one of the great recessions looking for capital, as are our competitors. And it's difficult. And then phase two, NASA will be a customer with the astronauts, and they'll pay the companies to have astronaut time on the privately owned space stations. That's a mix of the public-private partnership. So for me, Voyager is an enabler because it raises capital and it, it grows these growing number of companies. We hope in the next few years, we'll have more and more companies that we acquire. We're looking at several really good candidates today. And, and those companies then are in a commercial setting. They have a, a very sophisticated financial team that's helping them, very sophisticated accounting team, very sophisticated uh, business development. This is commercial. And now the government is the primary customer in space to this day, but the public-private partnership, the pendulum is moving and it's a commercial marketplace. It's the way America works. I'll give you an example. This really ticks me off. People say, oh, we make an exception in space. Again, to use aviation. In this country, when you fly United or Southwest or anything, who owns the airports? It's not United. 
It's not Southwest. It's the government. Different cases can be a local agency, could be the federal government. Who makes sure you're safe? Federal workers. Those are called air traffic controllers. So what does the private sector do? They build the hardware, planes, and they sell the tickets, the customer service. But it's a public-private partnership. And that's what we're moving towards in space. What will be the role of the government? Still uncertain. So you talked a little bit about how we're in a recession right now and Voyager's looking for money. So Voyager's not too old. It started in 2019 is when it was founded. Three years, yeah. Three years. So how has the global terminal affected the business or has it basically been the same throughout and you're looking for the end of the tunnel here? I really respect when I sold Nanorax to, to uh, Voyager, uh, Dylan Taylor and I sat down the height of the pandemic for about four hours. And what really impressed me was this is a guy who's financially astute, very sophisticated, large personal investor in commercial space outside of Voyager, believes in it passionately, but he's a, and he's a long-term player. And so he was outlining to me, you know, this is where we'll, I think we'll be in three, four years. This is where, and I wanted to show him that I'm a sophisticated kind of guy. And I said, oh, are you going to SPAC? You know, you're going to go public the newfangled way. And he said, no, we're not going to SPAC. And for your listeners, that's that way where you can skip the traditional checks and balances. You can uh, become part of a shell company and uh, just go public immediately. And uh, you skip all the, the independent bank looking you over, the accountants looking you over legally, your projections. You don't suffer legal consequences if your projections are wrong. So uh, there was this rush last couple of years of all these companies, friends of mine, going public via SPAC. And Dylan said to me, we're not going to go public, probably not via SPAC, because I think there's going to be a downturn. And I don't like the shortcut of a SPAC. I want us to do it the traditional way. And so we have been successful in raising capital because we have cash flow, because we are cash flow positive, because we have major customers from NASA, other agencies, the private sector. Uh, it's diffuse. Our revenue comes from different sources. It's international. It's domestic. And also we elected not to go public. And now we, we do plan to go public. Dylan has said that uh, at some point when probably it's the start of the next bull market cycle. I mean, you look at my friends and you look at the prices of stocks today. What does that mean? It's hard to raise capital when your stock is at two bucks, three bucks, four bucks. It's not easy. Okay. So we have an advantage that we've remained private. We're conservative. And our valuations are conservative. Our estimates are conservative. Our banking partner is JP Morgan, one of the most respected in the world. And we can't just go out and say, we're going to be a $3 billion company in four years. We can't do that. We can't do that because of uh, Dylan and Matt, the co-founders. We can't do that because of JP Morgan. We can't even do that because of the SEC, because of the path we're on. So we have to be careful. And I like that. And so Voyager has been raising capital. Because people respect the long-term conservative nature of it. Okay, now, the overall market is down. I'm being a little cynical with you. Great companies, Microsoft, Amazon, they're down as well. And, and so my point is really, in terms of going public, everyone has to make their own choice. 
And, you know, was it the right time for Rocket Lab to go public? I hope so, because they got some capital and they're able to invest and they have steady cash flow. For us, we made the decision we didn't need to go public. Let's hang on. Let's build up more and go public when the the markets are more favorable for long-term play. So everyone's different, but you're right. 12, uh, if it's 12, 12 companies went public and uh, gosh, they're, you know, it's, uh, I worry. In fact, I'm going to get off theme for a moment. I worry what happens if these companies begin to get delisted, um, you know, and, and the, 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 what's the story of space, commercial space as an asset class? Well, I believe Astra just got a notice that they're being delisted. Uh, right. so that'll be interesting to see. Right. And so I worry that in two years, uh, let's hope the market turns around. Everything's better. The war is over. Inflation is moderating. And we go, we stick our heads out and we go to raise serious capital and people say, space company? Ugh. So that's my fear. We'll see. But I'm, you know, I, I can be very pessimistic. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Pessimistic, conservative, you know, it depends how you want to look. I, I like it. So the other thing you kind of talked about was you have customers, you know, you have private customers like Astra, Astra Scale, Blue Origin, uh, Capella Space. NASA, ESA, who are some public customers and things like this. And you also talked about your competitors. So do you, as you talked a little bit about being second or third, do you look at competition? Do you welcome it or do you see it as a disruptor to what you're trying to do? So first off, I'll speak personally. Okay. I've been in this business for over three decades. That's a long time. And you don't stay in this business, uh, in a business for three decades if you don't enjoy it and you don't believe in it. And you want it to be successful. So I want exploration to be successful. I want the human species to, to evolve outside of the earth. And so I welcome competition because other people will have a different way to look at it. They may find customers that I couldn't find. And maybe I'll pick up that customer when, they're cust when my competitor's customer service stinks. Okay, so I welcome competition. One of the problems, putting on a different hat, is that in this government-dominated market, one of the arguments I've had with my friends at NASA for six, seven, eight years is trying to find the right mix of hardware that they fund and the customer demand. We call it the supply versus de demand. How do you get that right balance? There were times at Nanoracks, I was so angry at NASA because they would fund a piece of hardware that I already had on the station and was struggling to find customers. So, I mean, if you made that company go out and I self-funded the, uh, the hardware. So if you made the customer, if you made my competitor go out, raise a million dollars, would they have chosen to go out and get that centrifuge or to get that? No because there wasn't that big a demand. Okay, so it's a, it's a difficult issue in emerging marketplace like ours. In general, though, I want everybody to succeed. Others may have a better idea than I do, and we all learn. And also, if my competitor comes along, has some investors, they have a successful exit, that's good for all of us. And so I welcome competition. I love it. And you, know, you talked a little bit about building up the company until the point where you go in public and things like that. Uh, I got a couple of things. What is the advantage of going public? When do you know you're ready to go public? Great questions. You go public because of the liquidity. 
You go public because as the projects we wish to tackle get bigger, we're now tackling building Starlab. And I don't know the final cost. The technical teams are still doing the trades on the architect architecture of the design and what it's going to be capable of, but it's got a B in it. Okay. You know, B is in billion. And, and so it's very difficult to raise that in a private setting, uh, because the people coming in, the investors also want to make sure they can get out as well. And so there's, there's also a rigor that comes associated with a traditionally public company. I'm pretty sure that when Voyager does, if we do elect to go down the uh, public pathway, it will be traditional public offering, and we will be very careful in our forward projections, et cetera. And that breeds success with the investors. So you go public because it allows for liquidity. It allows for the ability to raise significant money. It gives you the ability to to use certain financial tools that you can't do going private. So there's advantage. You can issue stock as a currency as you grow being a public company. And that's the problem if your stock's at $2 versus if your stock is at $20. If your stock is at $20 and been going up, you can acquire a company using your own stock. You can, you can enter into strategic partnerships using your own stock. So there are advantages for going public. We believe that the time will be, as we grow, hitting critical mass, our companies are cash flow positive. Um, and probably, as I said, uh, I know the team is looking at what's the right moment for the start of the next positive cycle. I don't think we, you know, this is a forward statement, it's a personal statement from me, but I don't believe we want to go public and it's so difficult in a down market. So it would be when the next market's rising, investors are hungry for pragmatic opportunity. So that's when we'll know the time to go public. I like it. So the annual revenue of the entire space economy, if you will, grows every year and there's speculation as to how big it's going to be in the next couple of decades and things like that. But I think what we all know is it's going to change. It's going to keep on changing. So how do you feel that Voyager will change as the space sector does, as it becomes more commercial, as there's more, let's say, clients to be had, things like that? How do you think it will change in the future? Great question. We're really focused today on meeting the needs of the customer, not necessarily bending metal. So I mentioned in passing the George Washington Carver Science Park, we entered into months of discussion with several states, and we chose to locate in Ohio. And what are we doing there? We're setting up the the first in-space research lab and science park within the Ohio ecosystem, northern Ohio ecosystem. We're going to be part of Ohio State's facilities. We're going to be right near Battelle, one of the great research institutions of the world. We're going to be near Glenn, the NASA center. Um, We're investing that as this industry grows, there's certain infrastructure that will be needed on the ground to make sure that the next successes are not all just moonshots. Okay. And so I want to avoid the moonshot. I want enough infrastructure on the ground, research, commercial research centers that are supporting users of space. I want to make sure there's multiple space stations in low Earth orbit. We can't have one space station. Okay. India will have a station. China has a station. Russia will have a station. I figure in the next 10 years, there'll be five, six American led uh, private space stations. 
with different market niches. One might be a hotel. One might be researchers where at Star Lab, we're looking at their research and manufacturing. Some might be for professional astronauts. You may have seen that in the future there is terribly exciting. You may have seen we announced that our Habitat partner is Hilton Hotels Worldwide. That's not a gimmick. They're among the most able R&D shops in the world of how you keep humans comfortable and safe. And they're working with the technical folks of Nanoracks right now on designing the habitat for Starlab. And so this is the story of commercial space as we move forward. It's bringing in the expertise that exists, becoming part of ecosystems like Northern Ohio or maybe something in the Middle East or in Europe that doesn't exist today. So that when we do go to space, it's all of us going to space and it's not a one shot. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you so much for coming in and parting your wisdom of the 30 years of experience that you, you bring to the table. Just thanks so much for coming on the show. And I, I really appreciate it. Uh, and it was a, great to be here. If you want to keep an eye on the space industry, visit our website at www.spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a space watcher. I'm Jim Murphy from Space Watch Global, your independent perspective on space. 